Good morning. Several years ago, Carolyn and I were in, a, in an Anglican church, and we wandered into a bookstore there, and I uh, picked up this little prayer card. I've since discovered that it's quite well known. I've found it on the internet and other places, but it's called a, uh, a prayer for uh, old folks. It's a 17th century nun's prayer. And I keep it on my desk, and every once in a while I pull it out, and I uh, pray this prayer, and there's, there's one... Uh, one stanza that uh, is particularly significant to me, it says, keep me reasonably sweet. Actually, I pray, make me reasonably sweet. Uh, I don't want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with, but a sour old person is one of the crowning works of the devil. Uh, apropos of which is the uh, text that I want to read to you this morning, which is uh, Titus 2. So if you turn there with me, we'll be reading the first five verses. Uh, Paul says to Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Uh, teach the older men to be temperate. The, uh, the, the word for older men there is the word from which we get our word Presbyterian. It refers to anyone over 60. Uh, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older, woman, uh, older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one can malign the Word of God. Now, as I said, this is a text for old-timers. It occurred to me that I've heard a lot of sermons addressed to uh, young folks. You know how it goes. The pastor says, now, I'm going to speak to young people today, at which point all the young people recede into some part of their brain that uh, no one else has access to. But in all my, all my years, I cannot recall one sermon addressed to old folks, but that's what this will be this, this morning. This is for the geriatric crowd. And I include myself in that group. Uh, someone has said old age is not for sissies. And uh, that's true. That's true. We need all the help we can get. And in this text, we find all the help that we need. Uh, I do hope that those of you who are under 60 will stick around and pay attention, because you're going to be old someday. Um, some of you may have heard the name Goose Goslin. He was an outfielder for the Washington Senators back in the 30s, a Hall of Famer. And uh, he lived to be quite old. And, and he uh, was introduced to Yogi Berra one time. And Berra, in one of his famous Berraisms, said, You know, Goose, he said, you're, you're 60. In 10 years, you have a chance to be 70. Uh, well, let me tell you, if you're 30, in 30 years, you have a chance uh, to be 60. So some of this may be of use to you when you, uh, when you reach uh, that ripe old age. Uh, two observations I'd make. Number one. Young people never believed that old people were ever young. Uh, I, I tell stories to my grandchildren of things that I did when I was a child, and they look at me like I just came in from outer space. They, they think I've always been old. But the corollary of that is that young people never think they're going to get old. But they will. It's inevitable. Carolyn and I were eating dinner in a restaurant last Sunday, and there was a very attractive young hostess that was seating an elderly woman at the table next to us, and, and uh, she was 
bent over from osteoporosis and carrying her supplemental oxygen, and she looked quite ill. And I, and I made the comment to Carolyn, that young lady doesn't know it, but someday she's going to be just like that woman. And that's something that young people just don't take into, uh, into account. Uh, it occurred to me that since this was a worship service for old folks, we ought to, there ought to be some special hymns for seniors. I was going to recommend to, to Adrienne that we sing, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Help Me Up. Or, nobody knows the trouble I have seen. That's a good one. Or, go tell it on the mountain, but please speak up. That's <laughs> I uh, heard a story that an old fellow that just bought a new hearing aid and his top-the-line hearing aid paid about $2,500 for it. And he was top bragging to one of his friends about this wonderful hearing aid they just bought, paid $2,500 for it. The fellow says, what kind is it? And he said, that's oh, about $230. <laughs> Now, before we plunge into this text, I want to just take a minute and talk about the book of Titus. Now, I wasn't here when Jackson introduced the book, and I don't know what he said about the book. And there are a lot of different ways to look at it, but I want to tell you how I see it. The theme of Titus, as I understand it, is goodness. Eight different times he uses that term. Uh, an elder must love what is good. Certain individuals are unfit for doing anything good. Older women are to teach what is good. Timothy is to set an example by doing what is good. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are eager to, do, eager to do what is good. Slaves, he says, remind them to be ready to do what is good. I want you to stress these things so that those who trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what, doing what is good. How many times does he have to say it to get across the point that he wants us to be good? Now, it, it, there are two words that, that, that Paul uses that were both used in, in Greek philosophical discourse for goodness. One is the word agathos that just means good as to moral quality, rectitude, uprightness, integrity, conformity to a standard. That's one word that he uses, but the word, word that he uses predominantly is the word kalos, that means beautiful, appealing, attractive, winsome. See, what, what Paul is saying to Titus is that Titus is to teach people to be beautiful. I love that term that Kelly used a moment ago, strangely attractive, and it's proud. I don't know if you picked that up or not. I'm going to borrow that. It's a great phrase. We ought to be strangely attractive. Remember Al Cap's uh, comic strip, Little Abner's, about this Appalachian hillbilly family? And Little Abner's mother was, was Mammy Yoakum, and she was kind of a, I don't know, hillbilly guru. Mammy Yoakum says, goodness is better than badness because it's nicer. Now, that's only true up to a point because there's some goodness that isn't nice at all. There's some people who are good, good in the worst sense of that word, if you know what I, if you know what I mean. They're, they're upright, but they're uptight. They're critical, judgmental, censorious. They're just not nice people to be around. Flannery O'Connor has a, a, a story. Some of you may be familiar. It's, it's called Parker's Back. And Parker's married to this fundamentalist Christian woman whose name is Sarah Ruth. And he describes her. And she's this real uptight uh, person very critical of him, and she, he describes her one time in this way. In addition to all of her other bad qualities, she was forever sniffing up sin. 
And we know exactly what he's talking about. He's a very unpleasant person. Paul wants us to be as winsome and beautiful, strangely attractive. C.S. Lewis said, We may think that God wants simple obedience to a set of rules, whereas he really wants people of a particular sort. See, it's not that we Christians do a lot of special things. It's that we do everything in a special way. The way we play golf, the way we talk to a clerk in a grocery store, the way we talk to a child, that's important. It should be done beautifully, winsomely, attractively. Now, let me tell you why that was important to Titus. Because Crete was an ugly place. Uh, you may remember, I, I think probably Jackson talked about uh, some of this introductory material in, the, in his first sermon. One of their own poets, a man named Epimenides, back in chapter 1, describes Cretans, as, he says, they're all liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Uh, Epimenides was a 6th century B.C. Uh, Greek poet. He was, he was a Cretan. If, I, if you ever studied logic, there's a famous paradox called Epimenides' Paradox. Uh, if Epimenides was a Cretan, then he said that all Cretans are liars. Can we trust Epimenides? That's sort of the way it goes. Um, Paul says you can. It's true. <laughs> you know, he is. He's right. That's the kind of people are there. They're like animals. Now, now don't think that they ate red meat and, and, and bit each other. That's not the point. These were very sophisticated people. They were inheritors of the Minoan civilization. King Minos, you've probably heard of him. And they had beautiful buildings, architecture. And they were highly educated, acculturated people, very sophisticated. But they were totally devoid of spiritual values. That's the point that he's making. That's why they're like animals. They lived on the basis of what they could see, hear, touch, taste, smell. That's all. That's all there is. You know, what, what you see is what is. And, and this was the culture that the gospel was, was being preached into. They were living like people in Cosmopolitan and GQ, GQ and People magazine that are supposedly beautiful people. They spend too much money on themselves. They drink too much. They put too much money into their homes and their clothes and their cars. And people read this stuff, and they eat it up, and they want to be just like that. That's the society we live in. And Paul says, if you want to touch a society like that, then you have to plant a church full of people that are living beautiful lives. I, I rarely taught classes on evangelism because I was always afraid that people would come out of those classes and believe that evangelism is just having a mouth that moves on cue. You know, you got the facts, and you lay it on people, but that's not... What evangelism is, it's living strangely attractive lives in the middle of a very materialistic society, utterly devoid of spirituality. That's what gets people's attention. Now, let's look at the text. That's a rather lengthy introduction to just a few verses, but let's look at what Paul has to say. You must speak, literally, not teach. He's not talking about formal teaching. He's talking about a lifestyle, of talking about things that go along with sound doctrine. A sound doctrine is just the gospel as, as the apostles preached it. It's the New Testament. It's what, it's what the apostles of Jesus had to say about Jesus. It's who he is and what he did. That, that's our message. That's sound doctrine. And Paul says, teach the things that go along with that. What is that? Well, it's a Christ-like life. I don't know if you remember that, but back in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul talks about the knowledge of the truth 
that leads to godliness. It's, it's often said of philosophy that, that you can test a philosophy by its ethics. Some philosophies have no ethics. Some philosophies are, are their, their ethics is unworkable. It's impractical, impractical. But the thing about the gospel is that rightly understood, it produces depth and beauty of character. See, authentic Christianity has to do with what we are, not what we do. It's being, not doing. Peter says, seeing then that all these things will be burned up, what manner of people ought you to be? It's always being. It's strangely attractive people that have an impact upon their culture. Uh, I had lunch last Tuesday with a non-Christian uh, friend, and in the course of our chat, he just mentioned that he never read the Bible, never his whole life. He doesn't go to church, doesn't read the Bible. And he said, you know, I'm an educated man. I really should do that, shouldn't I? I said, makes sense to me. So he says, where can I get one? I don't have one. Said, well, you know, any bookstore would have a Bible. So he goes looking for, he actually went looking for a Bible. He couldn't find one. So he calls me up the next day, and he says, couldn't find a Bible. So I'll bring you one. So I went down to his office. I bought a real nice little leather bound Bible because I wanted him to know that I really, you know, I, I thought there was something special. And, and I brought it into his, 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 I told Carolyn I ought to bring it in a brown paper bag because I didn't know what, you know, what his colleagues would think. I didn't want to embarrass him. But I brought it in, and he was standing in the, in the foyer with a bunch of his colleagues and, and fellow workers. They're all very young. These all happen to be women in their 20s and early 30s. And I walked into the group, and he says, oh, here's my friend David Roper. He says, he's into spirituality. And I goes, ooh, you know, because spirituality is really in today. And I was some kind of guru from Peru, I guess. I was, you know. So uh, he said, oh, you brought me a Bible, he said. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gave it to him. And he said, I'm going to read it. He said, at the very least, uh, you know, I'll be enlightened, and I might even become Christian and carry a placard. And my heart just sank. And I said, don't, no, just be a Christian, okay? Just be a Christian. Because, see, the world defines us today by what we're against, what we don't stand for or what we won't stand for. Jesus says you should know them because they love you. See, that's what ought to characterize us. There's nothing wrong with standing for something, but for crying out loud, let's be people that are known by our love and by the, the beauty of our character. That's what's going to have an impact upon our society. Now, what Paul does is to spell it out in terms of different groups, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, slaves, <coughs> uh, various uh, elements within society. And now we get into the message for the old folks, okay? Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, and love, and endurance. Uh, temperance in context here just means restraint in your use of alcohol. Uh, Christians ought to be moderate about all things, you know, how much television we watch, how much money we spend. It ought to be moderate in our recreation. And, and you know, all of life, it ought to be characterized by moderation. Here he's talking about use of alcohol. Bible does not mandate uh, total abstinence. Uh, just as don't be drunk. That's all. Be moderate. See, the problem with old age, as Carolyn pointed out to me once, is fear and pain. And most young people don't know it, but most old people are in pain. You, know, you don't just get old and die. You know, you, you, no one does that. You go through a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain. 
So yet you drink to get through the day. It's what a lot of people do. And they're afraid of death, so they drink. And they drink too much, and they get drunk and become old drunks. That's what Paul is saying to these men. Don't become an old alcoholic. Be restrained. Temperate. Worthy of respect. Oh, I, I just, I'm driving over here. I thought of a poem somebody gave me once about his father. He says he drinks. He says he drinks the way he does his steadiness to improve. Last night he got so steady he couldn't even move. So, <laughs> Paul says, don't, don't do that. A worthy of respect. I love that term. It just means dignified. Gravitas. That's, that's the word. Not, not grave in the sense of grim, but weighty. Uh, Isaiah talks about those whose strength is their quietness and confidence. There's such a, a wonderful thing about an older man who's quiet. He, you know, he isn't, doesn't get rattled in the face of the chaos and confusion that goes on in, in, in our world because he is a sinner. He's centered on God and his word, and, and he's weighty. He has dignity. And as, as they say, there's no fool like an old fool. Don't, don't grow up to be an old fool. Grow up to be a quiet, wise uh, a man. Self-controlled, good word. Uh, it's one of Plato's words. Uh, Paul was well-read up. Highly educated man, familiar with his culture. He's a man of two worlds, not only the biblical world, but, but of his culture, the Greek, uh, Rome, Greco-Roman culture. And he uses Plato's words a lot. This is one of them. It means, means to be, actually, to hold a halter in both hands. It's, uh, uh, Plato described our bodies as chariots, and the mind is the charioteer, and, and uh, there's a white horse and a black horse pulling the chariot. The black horse is the sensual side of us, and the white horse is the honor-loving side of us, the side that's, that's tied into the ideals that are in the mind of God, as Plato would say. And uh, we hold the reins, and it's the mind that, that governs the horses, that determines which is in control. Okay? Uh, Plato is so close to the truth that the early Christians described him as one of theirs. He, of course, way before, Christi before Christ came, but he was very close to the truth. But where he missed it was that he was talking about a mind set on the ideals. What we do is set our mind on the Word. So that when things begin to fall apart around us, we don't fall apart. We don't give in to our, you know, our sensual materialistic side because our mind is stayed on him. Okay? That's what he's talking about. And then finally he says sound. Actually, it's a word for healthy. It's really interesting in view of the fact that most of us old geezers aren't healthy. Sound in faith, love, and obedience. For the word. Obedient to the word. And an obedience that looks like love. That's always the order, you know. Get our thinking straight about Jesus and who he was. And out of that flows an, an obedience to him, a willingness to follow him. But it's, it's not a harsh and hard, inflexible obedience. It looks like love wherever you see it. Right? So he says, be full of the word, be full of God, be obedient to him, and be loving. See? Sound in faith and love. And obedience. You may have significant health problems in your body, but you can be healthy in your soul. That's what Paul is saying. Be a person of the Word. Let me say there's nothing inherent in aging that produces an, an evil disposition. You don't just naturally get mean-spirited. You, you, you become what you've been coming, what you've been becoming all along. You know, there's an old saying, you get the face you deserve when you're old. You also get the disposition. 
that you've been developing all along. See, what happens is that we get older, we have less energy to, to hold it in. And then when we're old and we get irritated, it all hangs out, and people see what's really been going on inside of us all along. Uh, some of you know C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers. I've been rereading the Screwtape Letters. I'm almost always reading something that C.S. Lewis wrote. And Screwtape Letters are kind of a backwards look at the Christian faith because it's a, from a demon's standpoint. Screwtape is a demon, and he's tutoring his young nephew of, uh, what's his name, Wormwood, who, and he has a patient, young Christian, that he's trying to subvert. So Lewis is giving him counsel on how to, how to draw this person away from, from God. And he's not doing well because the patient's doing, uh, doing well. Patient's growing toward God. So in one, in one of his essays, uh, Screwtape just reams out his, his nephew. I mean, he, you know, just harsh, hard words one after another. And he says, meanwhile, you disgusting little dot, dot, dot. And then Lewis says, here, here the manuscript breaks off and is resumed in a different hand. And then uh, 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 Screwtape picks up his discourse again. In the heat of composition, I find that I have inadvertently allowed myself to assume the form of a large centipede, he says. He had turned into a centipede because he was acting like one. He says, I'm accordingly dictating the rest to my secretary. Some rumor of this has reached the humans, and a distorted account of it appears in the poet Milton, who has the ridiculous idea that such changes of shape are punishment. Now, what he's talking about is what Paul is talking about in Romans 1, when he says, the wrath of God is revealed against us and against all unrighteousness. And he spells that wrath out, not in God striking us down with bolts of thunder, because that's not the kind of God he is. He lets us have what we want. He just takes his hands off of us and lets us, lets us have what we want. See? And I think that's why sometimes old people have a very mean disposition, because God has finally let them have what they want. They've been growing in that direction all along. But let me tell you, there is a, there's something really wonderful about, about being a sweet old woman or a sweet old man, and it's doable. It's never too late. We can be new creations in Christ. God can recreate your disposition. He can do that. He can make you sweet, see. Give place in your life for the Word of God in prayer. Ask God to begin to change you and make you like Jesus, and he will. He will. An eye turns to older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Uh, interesting words. Reverent is the first word that he uses for, uh, for older women. It's a word for a priest in the New Testament. A priest stands between God and man, or God and the human race, to be more correct. He represents God to the race, and he represents the race to God. He represents God to the race by teaching, by instruction, by telling people what God is like. He represents people to God by prayer. That's what a priest does. They teach and pray. That's your job as an older person, to instruct others about life and to pray for them. And not slander, he says, not gossips, not addicted to much wine. Some older women have a lot of time on their hands. You know, they take up golf, whatever, and go play a round of golf, go to the bar, get them, 
get a cocktail and sit and gossip about their husbands and their children, whatever. That's all they have to do. Paul says, don't do that. Don't trivialize your life. Don't waste your time doing things that don't count. Teach the younger women how to be beautiful. Paul actually sticks two words together. It's what, it's what grammarians call a hopoxagomena. It doesn't occur anyplace else. He sticks two words together and says, teach them how to be beautiful. Now, there's nothing wrong with teaching them how to apply makeup and beautify their homes and, 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 you know, and act in, a, in, a, in an appropriate manner in a social setting. That's good. But it needs to go beyond that, see. We do have a mandate to beautify the world. And I, you know, I, I always appreciate what Carolyn has done to beautify our home. I love just walking into our home. It's a peaceful place. And, and that's good. But that's not all older women are to do. They can teach the younger women to be truly beautiful. Because, you see, outward beauty is the only beauty that is, that is totally trenchant. It will not last. Uh, I have a friend who's a therapist, and he, was, he tells me he was meeting with a young woman one time, and she had a remarkable presence. She was very, uh, uh, had a great sense of identity and self-worth and presented herself well. And, I don't know, I don't remember what her problem was, but uh, as he began to talk to her, he just commented on the fact that she seemed to be so well put together. He said, you know, you're really, uh, uh, you present yourself well. You seem to have a, a great sense of, of self-worth and identity. And he said, what do you attribute that to? And she said, because I'm pretty. And he said, and I think with great wisdom, he said, oh, I'm sorry. And she said, what do you mean, I'm sorry? He said, because you won't always be pretty, and what will you do then? See, that's the question. What will you do when you aren't pretty any longer? Ah, but you see, the wonderful thing is that there's another kind of beauty that, that outlasts physical beauty. In fact, it's an eternal beauty. It'll, it'll never end. Some of you have, we have the same friend over in, uh, in, uh, in Oregon, uh, she's a, an older woman living in a retirement center there. She wears braces on her legs, and she's, she's all crippled up. And uh, she's the most beautiful person I know because the love of Christ radiates from her face. Now, that's what Paul's talking about. Teach women to be beautiful. Uh, some of you may have seen Don Gold's book. It's a collection of interviews with older people, and... He uh, so loved and admired his grandmother that, uh, that, uh, that that memory of her moved him to try to find others like, like her. So he traveled all across the United States talking to people, and he happened to pull into this ranch, and there was a teenager standing there, and he asked directions, and, and uh, the kid just says uh, fairly laconically, I, I don't know. So he drives on down the road, and he came across this elderly woman that was standing beside the road, and he asked directions, and she gave him very precise directions about where he was to go. And he used that as a metaphor for the whole book. That's what he was looking for, someone to teach him how to get where he wanted to go. And, and that's our task. That's our task, to give flawless direction. See, if we show others in the latter years of our life the fullness and deepness of God, they'll move toward us. If they see in us the old only, uh, that is just destruction and loss, then they'll believe they have no future.
Don't fritter your life away. Invest in, in the next generation. See, o- older people have a little more time than younger people do. They're, they're not taking care of children. They don't, you know, how many times can you clean the house? And the, the temptation is to go get a job or do something else. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't waste your time just frittering it away. You are a priceless in, uh, heritage that God has given to the church. Use what God has taught you in order to impart truth to the next generation. I, I, Paul doesn't comment on this, but I'd say it's true of men as well. Find a younger man to mentor. Teach him how to be a man. Uh, one of the hazards of old age is that we get obsolete. You know, we feel useless, invisible. Uh, you know, you walk by a checker in the stand, and he or she just looks right through you. They don't even see you. And so the tendency is to feel that, you know, I'm not important. I don't matter. Uh, Chesterton said, we admire youth because it's young and age because it's not. I mean, it's just that simple. And, and the feeling is that we're not, I'm nothing admirable. There's, there's nothing to me. There's no substance. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to add to this, to this, this world. Uh, some of you may, may, may remember the line in the, in the Lord of the Rings where Mary says to the old uh, tree beard, you get left out of the lists and the old stories, don't you? You know, that's, that's what happens to old people. They get left out of the list, They're forgotten, overlooked, unimportant. But I want you to know you have a use. See, in chapter 3 of Titus, verse 14, Paul says, You must learn to devote yourself to doing what is good in order that you may not live unpredict- unproductive lives. You want to be productive? Then be beautiful. See? That's what Paul is saying. All of this is attainable if we keep growing in holiness. It's not going to happen overnight. There's no magic to it. It's going to happen as we grow old with God. See, there are only two options in life. Either you grow old with God or you grow old without Him. And you're never too old to get started. Uh, Augustine uh, said, Old age has its many complaints, coughing, shaking, failing eyesight, anxiety, and weariness. weariness and most of us can relate to all those. The, the world is old, and it too is full of pressing tribulations. Do not refuse to regain your youth in Christ, who says the world is passing away. Do not fear. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Did you get that line? Planted in the courts of the Lord, they will flourish. They will still bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green. Literally says they'll be full of sap. I love that. You want to be full of sap? You want to be green and fresh? Then plant yourself in the house of the Lord. Paul says, though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. See, what he does is call forth a series of what I call paradox, the paradoxes of aging. Strength in the midst of frailty, patient endurance in pain, love despite discomfort, spiritual ascent in the face of physical decline, faith and confidence at the, at, at the edge of death. See, you don't have to be a fusty, old-fashioned, outdated, outmoded, passe, old person. You can grow to the end of your days, and you can touch lives eternally. You know, I, I don't know about you. I have to tell you, I'm excited about growing old. I'm having fun. Carolyn and I are having more fun now than we ever had in our life. I don't have to go to elder meetings anymore. 
I can do just what I want to do, which is minister to these wonderful young couples that God has given to us. My father used to say that he was having so much fun that when Gabriel blows his horn, they were going to have to shoot him. I, I, I'm feeling somewhat the same way. We are really enjoying our life right now. This is the last of life for, for which the first was made. I have a quote on, on, on my wall on my desk from Frederick Beekner, who's another one of my uh, favorite authors. He wrote a book called Godric, which is about an old cleric, an old priest. Godric is, is lamenting his decrepit body, and he says, But deep inside this wrecked and ravaged hull, there sails a young man still. I love that. It's on my wall. Deep within this wrecked, this wrecked and ravaged hull, there sails a young man still. And that can be true of you. Just keep growing with God. Let me say in conclusion that growing old is about the hardest task we have to face in life. It's all about losses. You know, we devote most of our life to, to acquiring things we lose as we age. Our strength, our looks, our friends, our spouse, our job, our financial worth, our health, our homes, our automobiles, our independence, and perhaps the greatest loss of all, our sense of dignity and self-worth. I think dealing with these losses is the major spiritual challenge for us in our latter years. But Paul says, we do not lose heart. He uses an interesting verb. Literally, it's bad out. We don't, we don't I suppose we'd say bug out today. We keep going. Because, he says, though the outward, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. How are we, we renewed day by day? By the Word of God and by prayer. To immerse yourself in the Word. And ask God to make you true to the truth. It's a process. It takes His Word. I said a moment ago, it's not a miracle, but um, there's no magic to it. But in a way, there is. It's a miraculous work where God takes His Word and begins to make it real in our lives. George MacDonald said, Lord, this is prayer. What I once had done with youthful might, had I been from the first true to the truth, grant me now old to do with better sight and humbler heart, if not the brain of youth. What he's saying is, you know, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I forget things. But I can be humble and I can be wise. And that's what he prays for. See? I may not be the brightest uh, bulb on the street, but I can be loving. I can be kind. By the way, did you know that in the medieval church, they divided up the, the, the church in various age groups, and everybody had duties. Do you know what the duty of the aged was, those over 60? To love and to pray. You can do that. I can do that. I can be useful to the end of my days. I want to leave you with uh, the common for the aged in the book of Common Prayer. I often just pick up that book and read A common is a, a prayer or a service for a particular group. In the book of Common Prayer, they pray for doctors, lawyers, firemen, policemen, older people, younger people, people and so forth. This is, this is the common for the aged, and I leave this with you. As their strength diminishes, increase their faith and their assurance of your love. Amen.